Good evening, everyone. So just to introduce myself, my name is Craig, and I have the privilege of being one of the elders here at Riverside Community Church, and it's lovely to see you all here this evening. And uh, welcome to this evening's, uh, we are week five in our series called The Reason for Everything. And uh, we have been uh, diving into uh, some of the tough questions that people have with regards to Christianity, and with that, some of the obstacles that people uh, have in coming to faith. And we have been looking at that over the last few weeks, a little bit different to what we normally do, uh, but this is helping us to engage with some of these obstacles and questions, and better, better equipping ourselves uh, for uh, engaging with people who have not yet come to faith in Jesus. And tonight's an interesting one. There was a study that was done in 2007 by an organization called the Barna Group. They're a Christian uh, research organization, and they uh, polled uh, non-Christians, people who did not believe in Jesus, asking them, why don't you believe? Some of the answers and responses we've already covered in the series. But number one, top of the list for why people do not come to faith in Jesus is this word, hypocrisy that there is a disconnect between the message uh, of Christianity and the way Christians behave. Uh, you might uh, agree with uh, this, uh, these few slides uh, that are going to come up. All right. So, they'll come up in a minute. So, there we go. Great, thanks. Uh, maybe you've experienced something like this, that uh, sometimes the nicest people you meet are covered in tattoos, and sometimes the most judgmental people uh, you meet go to church on Sundays. I remember uh, moving to Cape Town from the Eastern Cape, and uh, if you are from the Eastern Cape, you know that everyone is friends with everyone, and it's uh, quite, a, a, quite a joy to grow up in the Eastern Cape, and then moving to Cape Town was a massive culture shock. And so I visited a church, and it took eight weeks uh, for someone to talk to me from uh, this church. And uh, even after sussing out uh, for a few weeks, like three or four weeks, okay, that person I've seen a few times seems to know what's going on, must occupy some aspect of leadership, going up to them and going, hi, my name is Craig, I'm new here. And the person kind of like looking at me like I'm an alien uh, and turning around and walking away from me. We've experienced some of the cold, um, uh, kind of judgmental, offish nature of Christianity. I had a friend, and maybe you guys have also had a friend like this. Uh, this friend of mine believed he was Cupid. And it was his responsibility, uh, self-given, to uh, matchmake every single person he knows. Uh, he did not believe in singleness, and it was his job to end everybody's singleness that he knew. So uh, he was my flatmate as well, which made things doubly difficult. And I was uh, single uh, for a large part of him uh, living with me. And so uh, it would often get to the weekend and things would go down like this. Craig, I've organized uh, you, some mates, we were a couple of single guys. I've managed to, to get a bunch of girls. They're going to meet us at this place. We're going to uh, go out. There's dancing. We'll have some supper. We're going to hang out. And it was week after week that this happened. And then the conversation always would go like this. Craig, please don't tell them you're a pastor. And just be like, I'm not going to lie. He's like, Craig, you know what happens. 
As soon as you tell them that you're a pastor, the whole vibe dies. Okay, they're going to think you're weird. They're going to think we're weird. And uh, the whole point of this gathering and this uh, get together is just going to fall flat. Don't tell them you're a pastor. Call, them, call yourself a teacher. It's, it's not lying because you teach. Uh, just to avoid telling them the subject that you teach. And that's kind of how we go down. And I remember one particular night uh, we were out and uh, it eventually got to uh, that part in the conversation when I was asked what I do and I refused to lie about it and, you know, said, I am a pastor. I work full time for a church. I love Jesus. And the whole vibe just died. And uh, getting back home, it was just like, Craig, you did it again, you know. And just, it was it was hectic because so often people just got so uncomfortable around someone who so openly confessed they were a Christian because uh, all of their experiences had been, well, you can't have fun. Uh, we're going to get judged. You know, a couple of times there were people smoking. The cigarettes kind of just went out. Uh, one occasion, somebody just pushed their drink away from them. Uh, just to think that I'm going to judge them. Uh, because uh, so many of their experiences had been this uh, hypocritical, judgmental, uh, cold, I uh, can't enjoy uh, life Christianity. And I wonder how many of you can uh, kind of agree with this meme. Yeah, the next slide. You know, not going to church because of hypocrites is like not going to gym because of out-of-shape people. You know, so many people kind of battle and, and, and disconnect with uh, this hypocrisy. I remember the, one of the most hectic experiences I had with an individual. Uh, I did a, a tour of Turkey a number of years ago. And Nez and I uh, spent a month backpacking and traveling uh, through Turkey with a group of people. And uh, we were quite aware of, uh, you, you know, people are going to again ask, you know, what we do for a living and um, it turned out we were the only Christians uh, out of a group of 25 people that we were spending close to a month with. And uh, one particular girl, this was about uh, three days in or four days into the trip, uh, around supper one night, I uh, said, so Craig, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a pastor. And immediately, just the whole demeanor changed. And then she even asked, uh, probed a little bit further. She says, uh, what denomination are you involved in? What, what denomination are you a pastor of? So I said, I'm, I'm a pastor at a Baptist church. She got up and she stormed out of the restaurant. A couple of days later, she finally could face me and we could try and talk. And I just wanted to get to the bottom of this. She lived in the same street as a church called Westboro Baptist Church. And if any of you know anything about this church, their website is godhatesfags.com. Usually like our website is like Riverside Community Church their website, if you type that in, you get to their homepage. It pops up, Westboro Baptist Churches, godhasfags.com. And her uh, only engagements uh, with Christians uh, had been Baptists who just uh, spouted hate and judged everyone. And there was no love and, and compassion and mercy with them. And so people, and maybe you are like that as well, that you've battled uh, in, in your own life with the church because of your own um, hypocrisy or rather your own experience of people's hypocrisy that they claimed to believe one thing but your experience with them was something totally different. And even with this uh, lady who eventually 
you know, we got back to speaking and uh, almost every single day she came to engage with me on one aspect of, of Christianity. And the thing that came up every single time, almost every day was the hypocrisy of the church and hypocrisy of Christians. If it wasn't about individuals, you know, why does this pastor steal money? Why does he, you know, Christianity's not real because this pastor did this and he did this to his church and he did this to those women and, you know, uh, stole from that person. And, you know, Craig, what about the crusades? You call yourself a Christian and you love the church. Can you explain to me why the church is so violent and killed people and did all of these things? And, and it was so, so interesting experiencing this in an individual a couple of years ago, a secret poll was done, and it was uh, to kind of analyze the lives of Christians and non-Christians. And with it being a secret poll, it just meant that Christians could be honest. And what came out in this poll was that there was no difference between the lives of Christians and non-Christians. When it came to pornography, gambling, uh, addictions uh, and, and recreational drug use and drunkenness, uh, physical violence, domestic violence, there was no difference between the lives of Christians and non-Christians. Uh, in that poll, there was one difference uh, that's kind of separated the behavior of Christians and non-Christians, and it was interesting. It's that Christians were less likely to recycle uh, than non-Christians. And the percentage came out, it was like 68% of Christians were likely to recycle as opposed to 79% of non-Christians. Now, what do we do with this? Because when people raise the issue of the hypocrisy of the church, the hypocrisy of Christians, uh, we have a tendency to get really defensive and we want to uh, go, no, 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 that's not like it is and, and get quite angry and try and win the arguments. But I think uh, there's some things that we need to actually think a little bit differently around this because this is the biggest issue that people struggle with Christianity. And so it's so important for us as a church to uh, engage meaningfully with this topic. And so instead of maybe getting angry and defensive and trying to argue around it, uh, I'll propose that we think uh, around it this way. And the first thing is admit it. The reality is that over history, the number of people claiming to be Christians have done significant damage to the name of Jesus. We don't need to look very far to see, uh, especially kind of what's coming out of the States at the moment with the Catholic Church and how they've been covering up pedophilia for years and years and years. Um, Christian uh, mega church pastors uh, dominating the headlines for scandals with their lives. And guys have done atrocious things in the name of Jesus. And so it's quite important for us that we do need to acknowledge that. A guy called Donald Miller wrote a book, Blue Like Jazz. And he shares a story in this book. He was involved in a very liberal university and he set up a confession booth. And for whatever reason, people at this university then went into this confession booth. Except what happened is when they went in there, uh, they didn't end up confessing their sins. He and some of his friends started to confess the sins of the church. Actually owning and admitting uh, where the church has made mistakes uh, and let people down. It's also important to uh, remember that the first uh, group of people that Jesus called to repent were not sinners. In fact, Jesus called out people who claimed to be religious, but were getting it so wrong. 
I think there are two main reasons why uh, the water is so muddy when it comes to uh, understanding the church and, and dealing with this thing called hypocrisy. And if you're taking notes, uh, this is something good to remember is that, uh, and don't be shocked by this, all right? Churches are often filled with people who are not Christians. Right? Churches are often filled with people who are not Christians. And that's a good thing. It really is. And that's something that we strive for here at Riverside. But the reality with that is that you've got people who attend regularly, who know bits and pieces of the Bible, who live good lives, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't watch uh, bad movies, they even put money into the offering bag and they kind of give to the church, might uh, show up at some events, but do not love Jesus, do not know Jesus, have not had their hearts transformed by Jesus. We often talk about the difference between knowing and knowing. You know, you can tell me about a restaurant that has really good burgers because you've read about it uh, on a review online. And so you know about this restaurant, you know about this particular hamburger at the restaurant, and that's knowing about it. But there's a difference between actually having gone to that restaurant and eaten uh, that world-famous hamburger that the restaurant offers that a lot of people have the external veneer that they look like a Christian, and we call them cultural Christians, that they look like it, can play the part of it, but actually have not come to a deep, intimate knowledge of Jesus that has affected the way that they behave externally. And that's a reality that we have when it comes to church. Uh, the Bible calls guys like this lukewarm. And lukewarm Christians. They look and sound uh, like the real thing, but they are not. They don't have the heart and the character that comes with being a believer. And Jesus often spoke about this and warned against this quite early on in his ministry. He spoke about the reality of this. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 7, and you can uh, find that, Matthew seven twenty-two and verse 23, if you're writing and taking down notes. Jesus says, this is a famous uh, big teaching that Jesus did called the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 22, he says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The reality that not every single person who is part of a church or goes to church is a believer. Jesus even warns, you know, I did not know you. And that's a sobering reality for so many of us because so many people get deceived in thinking, you know what, I'm in a, a majority Christian friendship circle. We always went to youth on a Friday night. You know, we always got involved in kids ministry. That's just what we did as a group of friends. Of course, I'm a Christian. My parents are Christians. I was christened as a baby. And the forms at like home affairs and places like that really don't help us because you've got to tick a box as to what you believe, Right? And so, well, of course I'm a Christian, right? And that's what we tick. And we can be deceived in, in the way that we were brought up and the, the kind of people that we hang out with that we think we are. But there's no evidence of the Spirit in our lives and what we call fruits of the Spirit, the transformation that comes place from knowing Jesus. And there's an obvious challenge for Christians, and that's our beliefs must be coupled with lives that honor Jesus. 
that faith in Jesus translates into uh, a life that honors him. Although it talks about faith without works is dead. And that you might work, but there's no evidence of faith. And that's important to uh, realize that not everybody in church uh, has had that encounter with Jesus. And it's important to know that. And the second thing is that church is a place for sinners, not perfect people. I might have missed a slide. Matthew, or Mark chapter 2, Jesus says this, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners. It's not the healthy um, that need a doctor but the sick. And so uh, I have uh, not come to call the righteous but sinners. So, so important. And again, there's some big misunderstandings when it comes to church. Maybe you've experienced this. It's that uh, being a Christian equals you are a good person. That the moment you, you come to faith in Jesus Christ, something miraculously happens and you're almost perfect. And that everybody who's inside a church and who goes to church needs to kind of hit this perfect moral standard uh, with their lives. Well, you have to, right? Because you believe in Jesus. And so believing in Jesus means you've got to be this good, perfect person. Uh, but we know that that's not true. We talk about uh, what God has done for us, uh, the good news of Jesus. And it's so important uh, to realize and understand that Jesus came to call sinners. Jesus, speaking to uh, religious hypocrites, said to them one day, uh, tax collectors and sinners are going to enter into the kingdom of God before you. Tax collectors being some of the worst of the worst and saying to the religious elites of the day, they're going to come into uh, the kingdom before you. The gospel church is for uh, those who need God's mercy and grace the most and who know it. I'll ask you a question. What do you think church is going to look like when you have people who are aware of their sin and who know they need the grace of God? It's going to be messy. If we understand that church is not for perfect people, and if we really believe that uh, Jesus came for sinners, uh, not for righteous people, and if we know that those who come in are coming in with huge uh, backstories and are on a journey to faith, uh, I love the analogy, uh, if you run a bath, do you get into the bath clean or do you get into the bath dirty? You get into the bath dirty, right? You don't need to be clean to get into the bath. That's the purpose of the bath, right? Is to get clean. And church is the bath. You don't have to be perfect to first come into church. And you don't have to sort your life out first so that Jesus will accept you. The joy of the gospel is not what we can do for God. It's what God does for us in the person of Jesus Christ, who while we were still enemies, he died for us, taking our sin upon himself so that we could become and know the righteousness of God. And so for when people coming to Christ, they're coming with their dirt. They don't have to get clean before come to Jesus. And in fact, it's when people come to faith in Jesus that they actually realize how dirty they are and so much of their sin gets exposed and comes to the surface and they start dealing with it. If we start to do, and if we become a really effective church, it's going to get way messier than what it really is. The more effective we are at understanding the gospel and preaching the gospel and living that genuine faith out and and, uh, honoring the signs that are outside with no perfect people allowed, church is just going to get messier and messier and messier. Because Jesus came for sinners. 
And the gospel is for sinners, not for perfect people. And it's so uh, important uh, to know that. I think about what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, right? And Paul, responsible for writing pretty much most of the New Testament, uh, he was a religious zealot, was responsible uh, for actually trying to end the early church that was hunting Christians, had a radical encounter with Jesus, ended up becoming one of the most significant missionaries, someone taking the gospel of Jesus, the message of Christ, uh, to the whole known world. And one of the letters to a church, he, he kind of was dealing with some stuff and he, he kind of was going, you know, I find myself with this tension. I know what I should be doing, but I'm not doing it. And the things that I don't want to do, I'm doing. And the things I want to do, I'm, I'm not doing. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm paraphrasing. But if he, as a, uh, a believer that we look up to and hold, you know, goes Jesus and it goes Paul, and he uh, battled and wrestled with uh, living out his faith and not always getting it right, should we going to be experiencing the same thing? And I wonder how many of you guys are already becoming aware of some of those own tensions in your life where you are failing to live out everything that Christ has called you to do. I know in my own life that is a reality. And I often find myself repenting of my behavior. This quote by C.S. Lewis can help put this into perspective for us. We love uh, what he has been saying and speaking into this whole uh, apologetics that we've been doing. All right, this uh, C.S. Lewis uh, he's long gone, so when he writes, it was written in Old English, so uh, just uh, understand the names. Miss, uh, Christian Miss Bates may have an unkinder tongue than unbelieving Dick Firkin. That by itself does not tell us whether Christianity works. The question is what Miss Bates' tongue would be like if she were not a Christian and what Dick's would be like if he became one. Miss Bates and Dick as a result of natural causes and early upbringing, have certain temperaments. Christianity professes to put both temperaments under new management if they will allow it to do so. What you have a right to ask is whether that management, if allowed to take over, improves the concern. And this is an amazing insight by C.S. Lewis. I had been a pastor for a number of years and there were unbelievers who could control their temper in a competitive situation better than what I did. Does that uh, write off the gospel? No. I just shudder to think where I would have been in this life if it was not for Jesus. And while I've still got a long way to go in uh, my transformation into becoming uh, even more and more like Jesus Christ, I am so aware of the gospel in fact, I might have shared this with you. A mate of mine who got saved a year or two after me also went into full-time ministry, also qualified as a pastor. And uh, his first sermon he ever preached was an apologetic-type sermon like what we're doing. In fact, the title of it was The, the Proof of the Existence of God. And his opening story was the reason he believes there was a God is he knew me personally before I was a Christian and what I was like after I'd become a Christian. The, the transforming power of Jesus was so real in my own life that it ended up him becoming a Christian and helping him understand the proof of the existence of God. And this also then leads into uh, kind of another big subsect of hypocrisy in the church is what do we do with the church's violent past? 
There's individual hypocrisy, but what do we do and how do we understand and handle this long history of, um, of violence? You know, when people talk about the Crusades, where, you know, how can you be a Christian and be a part of something that slaughtered uh, tens of thousands um, of Muslims? Uh, what about the violence of uh, Northern Ireland with the fighting between the Catholics and the Protestants, North and South Sudan, some of uh, the atrocities with the Spanish Inquisition and what they were doing with, uh, you know, so-called witches. A couple of things to write down here. The first thing is that these events were driven by nationalist ideas rather than Christian ideals. If you go back to a time uh, when there was no separation between the church and the state, especially when it was uh, kind of the, the dominant kind of church was the Catholic church, and, and everybody went to church. They recognized kind of uh, all of that was kind of one thing. It was a national identity was tied into your Christian identity. And so when it came to the Crusades, that wasn't uh, the extension of the kingdom of God. That was the extension of, of Europe. And it was about uh, national expansion, not how Jesus taught us to extend and expand the kingdom of God. And it's important to realize that at that time, there was no separation uh, between the two. Again, things like what was happening in Northern Ireland, that was all about uh, autonomy and who's, who's leading Unfortunately, when you're going to throw in a nationalistic identity and you're going to throw in a little bit of religion, that's going to get uh, quite messy. It's going to become very confusing. But it's also very important to recognize and understand that all of those atrocities go against everything that Jesus taught. That Jesus nowhere teaches and advocates violence. In fact, Jesus is so countercultural with that. Matthew 5.44, Jesus says, I tell you, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Jesus never advocated violence. Religion uh, gets blamed for so many uh, of the wars and, and so much killing. But it's very interesting if you uh, do this. In the Guinness Book of Records, you can actually go and have a look. Uh, if you go to like the judicial uh, section, if you look at war crimes, and you look at mass killings, uh, unfortunately, there are records and world records for mass killings. Can you believe it? In the Guinness Book of Records. Number one is uh, what happened in China uh, between like 1945 and, and, and 1965 under the guy called Mao Zedong. It's credited with killing 26 million Chinese. In fact, uh, the records aren't so clear. Some people put it higher at, at 70 uh, million. You've got Hitler who killed uh, 6 uh, million. Then there's a, a guy called Khmer Rouge from Cambodia who killed 2 million of his own people. Uh, and then you've got uh, Lenin and Stalin uh, in Russia who are credited with killing anywhere between 20 and 60 million people. Those are our top four. What's really interesting uh, about this and, and why I mention it is because most of those killings were to eradicate religion in those countries. But these leaders were influenced by atheistic and naturalistic thinking and ideals. When we look at the atrocities that were committed in the name of Jesus... We acknowledge that that was everything against the teachings of Jesus. 
But when we look at some of the biggest uh, killings in our country, and I tread carefully here, those are people who are living at the, the truth of the ideals that they hold to. We've spoken about it uh, in some of the sermons uh, preceding this one. That if you take naturalistic thinking and uh, atheistic thinking uh, out in its logical conclusions, uh, we know that uh, they believe that humanity has no uh, inherent dignity. And so that a locust, an ant, a bug, there's no difference between that pond scum and a human being. So there's nothing wrong with uh, then going and killing 26 million of your own people or 6 million of another group that you don't like and want to wipe them out. But then when you think of what people have done when they have correctly applied the teachings of Jesus, right? the human rights movements uh, that came out of the United States with Martin Luther King, he was being true to the teachings of Jesus. When you think of William Wilberforce and his uh, abolition of the slave trade, he was inspired by the teachings of Jesus and that uh, caused him to fight against everything that uh, his society was saying was true and right and led to the ending of the slave trade. It's amazing to see uh, what impact the world has when people do stand up and live out the true teachings of Jesus. Right now at the forefront of ending modern day slavery and the human, uh, human trafficking and the, the human sex trade is uh, an organization called the International Justice Mission, which is headed up by people who have been influenced and are living out the teachings and the claims of Jesus. I love this quote. I'm going to read it to you from uh, Leo uh, Tolstoy, an author. And he says this, attack me rather than the path I follow and which I point out to everyone who asks me where I think it leads. If I know the way home and I'm walking alone on it drunkardly, is it any less the right way because I'm staggering from side to side? It's interesting to see what he's saying because, for example, if Hitler had to discover that the world was round, would we dismiss that because of what he did? And if uh, Einstein, for example, we find out that he was a thief and he stole lots of things, would he dismiss, uh, would we dismiss everything that, that he discovered because of his lifestyle? And the answer would be no. And so it's the same with us and it's so important uh, for us to uh, fix our eyes on Jesus so much more. And it's so important for us to use this as an incredible moment uh, to actually go deep within ourselves. People are always going to have an issue with Christianity because we know the church is filled with people who are not Christians and who are sinners, not perfect people. And as a result, it's going to be messy. We want to be a messy church. Just so you know, we want people here with their mess. We want people who are on a journey figuring out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But it's also important for us that people don't see that, but they see Jesus in us. Because we know the power and the beauty of Jesus Christ, our Savior. But so often people don't see Jesus. Uh, they, say the way, they see the way we live out our lives and, and, and what we claim to believe in our lives, when that doesn't match up, when people see uh, the disconnect with that, they're going to point fingers and go, oh, I see, you know, that's why I'm not a Christian, you hypocrite. 
And I want to take a few moments for us to really kind of reflect on that. Because it's important for us as believers to as much as we can surrender our lives to the transforming power of Jesus. That if there has been things in your life that's kind of come up in this message, that you need to take time and repent of and going, Jesus, you know what? I do claim to believe in you. And I have professed faith in you, but there are aspects of my life where I'm not even trying to honor you. And Jesus, I realize what's at stake for the rest of the world where I'm not walking uh, the talk, where I'm not matching up uh, with what I claim to believe in you. And so Jesus, I want to take this time to uh, actually renew uh, my commitment to you. Again, I think of these words, I know what's at stake. And even if you're a young Christian and you're still figuring things out, maybe use this as an opportunity to to go, God, there are so many people who don't believe because of the behavior of Christians. Help me be someone who uh, sets that right for them. Maybe I'm the person who, when they see me, they actually see you, Jesus. And so the obstacle of hypocrisy is removed from them and they can come to faith like I have. When people live out the truth of Jesus, the world gets changed. And we recognize the danger that comes from people not living out the true values and claims of Christ. And so we want to be a church who looks to Jesus. I think of when uh, people brought Jesus, uh, a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. Public violence was what the appropriate response was to her being caught in adultery. They should have stoned her to death there. Yet Jesus responds to that situation with grace. It goes against how people are behaving. And those are the kind of believers that we need to be. That when people encounter us, they see the grace, the compassion, the love of Jesus, the joy of salvation. So I'm going to pray for us and, 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 and let's connect with the Lord on this. Jesus, we understand that there have been atrocities done in your name. But we recognize that was nothing to do with your teachings. That people were not being true to your life and your words. Jesus, we are aware though of the power that comes from when people do uh, live out your words and model their life on the way that you treated people with love, grace, and compassion. Jesus, we just confess to you those times in our lives where we have not lived true to what we believe about you and, and, and true to who you are. Holy Spirit, won't you empower us who have come to faith in you to have the strength that comes from your spirits to live out your truths in greater ways that our lives won't be an obstacle for people who have been hurt and who struggle with hypocrisy. That Jesus, you will continue to transform us in greater ways so that people will see you in the way that we live our lives. And Jesus, that we'll become a community that gets just messier and messier and messier because people are finding you and are able to journey and and enjoy life with you. Jesus, thank you that the church does not uh, hinge on believers, but on you, Jesus, our Savior, 
who did not judge us in our sin, but who took our sin upon yourself and died the death that we should have died. Jesus, thank you that you take our sin and give us grace. Thank you that you stood in judgment so that we would not be judged. Thank you that you're a God of grace, love, and compassion. Thank you that we can even come to you with our sin of hypocrisy. Repent of that and find your grace and your empowering spirit. We thank you so much for that, Jesus. Amen.